Good morning. It is good to see all of you here today. Um, for those of you that are students, I hope that your first week of class went well, especially those of you that are new students here. You got your first week of college under your belt already, which is great. Um, it's good to see so many of you that were new with us last week back again this week. Um, and I was, as I was thinking about what I was going to share with you this morning, uh, I thought about what's going to be happening in your lives uh, as the semester goes on. And, you know, right now is a good time of year. Like, you're meeting everybody. Your classes haven't really picked up that much. You probably had one class this week where you did nothing but go over the syllabus. Uh, but as the year goes on, you're going to find yourself getting busier and busier, right? Like, those assignments that you put off are going to start to build up. Um, you're you're going to meet more and more people that you want to hang out with. There's going to be all sorts of stuff that's going to start demanding more and more of your time. And when this happens, you're going to have to choose how to prioritize your time and really assess what it is that's most important to you. Like, why do you choose to give the time that you do to the things that you do? What is it that motivates you to spend time in one way versus another? And for our context specifically, I'd like to ask, like, why, why have you chosen to come here this morning? You know, what is it that made you to choose to spend your time in this way as opposed to any other way that you could have been uh, on this Sunday morning, just as Rachel was talking about, you know, you, you could be at home watching Netflix and being on the couch or sleeping in or whatever, but you've chosen to be here. And so I actually want to, uh, I want to give you a minute to actually think about this. Like, what is the point of us gathering together for this thing that we oftentimes call church? Like, why do we do this? And why is it specifically that you have chosen to come here? I'm going to give you a minute to actually just think about that. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too awkward for everybody. Um, but seriously, I, I think we oftentimes don't always give a lot of thought to the things that we do. Uh, there could be a million different reasons for why you're in this room here this morning. I hope that you've chosen to come here because you love the Lord and that you want to grow closer to him. Or, you know, maybe you don't know Jesus yet, but you really want to understand more of who he is and, and learn about who he is and, and start to learn how to pursue him. But I know that there can be a lot of other things that might bring us into this place like this. Um, some of you might be here just because you want to please somebody that's been nagging you. Maybe your mom or dad has been calling you every day saying, hey, are you going to the church on campus? Um, you know, m maybe you're here because you think that this is kind of like what Christianity is. That what God wants of you is to sit in a building on a Sunday morning and that that's what's pleasing to him. Um, you know, maybe you're here just because this is kind of part of your weekly rhythm. It's something that you've grown up with all your life, and it's familiar to you, so you kind of like it, but you're not really sure why you're here beyond that. You know, maybe you're here because you want to meet new friends or uh, whatever. There could be a million different reasons. But whatever has brought you here this morning, first off, I want to tell you I'm thankful that you're here, whatever that motivation may be. And if you're not really sure why you're here or you're not fully convinced that being part of a church community is important, what I want to do this morning is show you why this is something that's so valuable and worth prioritizing in your life. All right, so I'm going to pray and then we'll dive into this. Um, God, I thank you that you've brought us here together this morning. Um, God, I just thank you that we all get to come together and worship you in a, a special way that we can do together that we can't do apart. And God, I 
I just ask for each of us that you'd help us as we're thinking this morning about how we even choose to spend our time and what we prioritize and what we commit to. Help us to make decisions that um, are in line with your will and that are in line with your heart and what you care about most, God. Shape us into people that are more like you. Lord, help us to, to focus in on your word this morning. Help us to hear and to understand and to apply. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so when I talk about this idea of uh, prioritizing a church, I, I want to be clear about what I'm talking about first off when I say church, because in English, <clears throat> we can kind of mean a lot of different things sometimes, <clears throat> depending on context when we use this word. You know, sometimes we might mean that we're, we're talking about an event. Oh, I have church, or uh, 10.30 on Sunday mornings, I go to church. Um, so, sometimes we mean a building, right? And we say, oh, the wedding is at the church, or th this event is happening at the church. And then sometimes we might mean a group of people, right? So you might say, oh, that church serves the community really well. Um, the way that I'm talking about church this morning is only going to be option C, okay? Because that's actually the only way that the Bible talks about the church, in English, it's proper to use those other terms as referring to the church, but biblically, when we see this word come up, uh, it's consistently talking about a group of people that are following Jesus together. All right, uh, just give, there's many, 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 many examples of this, but I'll just give you one example here, Acts 15, 4. Uh, when they came to Jerusalem, <clears throat> they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. They weren't welcomed by a building. They weren't welcomed by uh, a service or an event. Uh, they were welcomed by a group of people. The Greek word here is ecclesia. It, it literally means uh, gathering. Now, um, so when I'm talking about church this morning, I'm talking about this biblical version of it. I'm using it to mean a group of Christians who are deeply connected to each other and their life mission to follow Jesus. Okay? A group of Christians that are deeply connected to each other and their life mission to follow Jesus. That is the point of the church, that we are pursuing the Lord. We're trying to be the people that he has called us to be, to love him and to worship him. And we realize that he's brought us together into a community to be able to do that best. All right? Here at H2O, our mission statement is that we exist to help one another become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what this church is trying to do. Help one another become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And there, I want you to know as well, biblically, that ultimately there really is only one church, okay? There is one true church, and it comprises everybody who has put their faith in Christ for salvation and made him the Lord of their lives, all right? The church comp comprises all believers across all different regions of the world, ethnicity, race, everything else, age. It comprises all of these people that Jesus has bought with his blood to, to forgive them of their sin and bring them into his family, Okay, look at what, how Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There is a church that Jesus has bought, with his blood, he's made us his bride that we would be stainless without any sort of sin because he has removed that for us. And so if you are a Christian, you are the, the, you know, part of the church. 
going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Rather, being a Christian makes you part of the church. Now, this church is Jesus' church, right? He's the one that builds it. He said in Matthew 16, uh, speaking to Peter, one of his disciples, he said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is ultimately the leader of the church. He's ultimately the one that builds it. And this church uh, that we're all a part of is something that spans, as I said earlier, across all regions of the world. Uh, look at this in Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Those are three different regions, but it's one church that's spanning across all of that. It's the collective body of believers. So biblically, it's true that there is ultimately one church. It's Jesus' church that, uh, that comprises all Christians that have put their faith in him for salvation. But there are many local expressions of this church, this one true church. And that's simply due to the fact that we have limitations of space and relational capacity. All right, so we have to have lots of local expressions. And we see this uh, properly referred to in scripture as well. Look at this, Acts 15, 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural, right? There's lots of different local expressions in these different areas. We see, so the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. I could give you many more examples. But we see the, the term used in both these ways, that there's one true church under Jesus, who's the, the ultimate uh, leader of this, and then there are many local expressions of churches that are necessary uh, because of the limitations of space and capacity. So if you're a Christian, you're automatically adopted into God's family and part of the one true church. But you have to make a choice about how involved you are going to choose to be with that local expression of the church that's in your area. And what I really want to do with you this morning is help you understand why being involved in a local church is so important and valuable for your life. All right? I'm talking about the importance of being deeply connected to a group of people that are all fiercely committed to following Jesus. I'm talking about something that's much bigger than the hour and a half that we spend together on Sunday morning. And so to do this, we have a primary passage that we're going to be working through uh, to guide us in seeing this irreplaceable value of the local church. Um, I'm not saying that we have to mimic exactly what this looks like, but I do think that this church we're going to be looking at this morning uh, sets a great example for us of a lot of the components that should be in our church, and it shows us why the church is so valuable to help us be faithful followers of Jesus and how it empowers us to do things together that we would not be able to do on our own. So we're going to look at uh, the church that started in Jerusalem uh, that formed really not long after the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It's a pretty famous church. Some of you have probably read about it before. Um, it, it was birthed very quickly uh, at, at Pentecost, which is something that happened 50 days after Passover. The Holy Spirit came, uh, fell on a bunch of, 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 fell on the apostles. They preached the gospel. 3,000 people got saved, and we start to learn how this church did life together. So we're going to look at that and see uh, what we can draw from them to understand why the local church is so valuable. So here we go. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's a ton that we could look at in this. I could probably do a whole sermon series out of this passage, but I'm not going to do that today. Uh, What I am going to do is just draw out five things that I see here. Um, Five important things this passage shows us that the church can do together in a special way that we cannot do on our own. And the first thing that the church helps us to do together in a special way is learn. We see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church is essential for helping us to learn and understand who God is and how to live in accordance with his will. The apostles that are being referred to here uh, in Acts 2 are the 12 men that Jesus specifically designated uh, for, the office, uh, for this office during his earthly ministry, right? So they were the guys that were walking around with him, that saw his miracles and um, that heard his teaching and all this kind of stuff. They were the people that were positioned to know Jesus the best. Which is great, right? Because that means they were the people that were positioned to know God the best. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. The New Testament was written by these apostles. Or by people that were close associates of these apostles. And very familiar with their teaching. And they've passed it down to us through recording it in the scripture that we have today. Which is an absolute treasure. Right? Like our scripture is a gift because it's something that allows us to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles the same way that this church was able to do when they had them there in the flesh and blood. If not for the scripture, we'd be left to our own opinions to try and form uh, about who we think that God is, and that could lead us in some very different directions. And frankly, I think it could lead us in some dangerous directions. You see, for almost all of human history, we've struggled with this common problem and it's called idolatry, right? And, and this is where we worship something other than the one true God. And we see the one true God revealed in Scripture that, that he has certain characteristics, that, uh, that there are specific things about him, that he cares that we worship him in a certain way and live in a certain way to love him. But so often, we create gods that are other than him. Right? And, and historically, this was done a lot of time through people carving out like little images of wood and gold and that kind of thing. And they would worship these. And, and rather than worshiping the God whose image they were created in, they create gods in their own image that they're comfortable with and that they would worship. And while there's not many of us, that, at least here in the United States, that are carving idols and bowing down to them, I do think it's still a very common practice for us to try to fashion gods in our own image. That we say, oh, well, I'm going to kind of uh, create this God that I like. So I'm going to remove any of the things I've heard about God that someone told me that maybe I find offensive or that doesn't line up with my idea of what what morality should be. And uh, I'm going to create this kind of version of my own God over here. We do this all the time. Rather than worshiping the God that's actually revealed himself in the scripture. And guys, we would do well to listen to the teaching of the apostles who have handed this down to us to tell us who Jesus actually is. It'll save us from trying to create this image of a God that is different from the one that's actually called us to worship him and the one that we're going to stand before in judgment of someday. 
You know, the apostles' teaching shows us that God is a God who is full of love and grace and patience. And in our culture, we love to exalt those things, right? Who, who wouldn't? Of course we're excited about a God that's full of love and grace and patience. That's good. And, and I would even say those are chiefly his defining characteristics. But the scripture also shows us a God that is holy. And, and that has wrath for sin. Because he cares about justice. And, and this is something that I think that if we're left to our own devices, we oftentimes want to try and scrub that out. Say, no, 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 we're, we're not, we're not going to keep that part of God. And this is why it's so important for us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. What is it that the Bible is telling us about who our God actually is? And when we see God for who he is, we actually get the most beautiful image. Because when we see how fiercely devoted he is to justice, and how fiercely devoted he is to punishing sin and setting all that's right, it shows you how much greater his love is for us, that he would still choose to forgive us. And it shows us the necessity of the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it's where God's perfect justice and his perfect love meet. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin. God is a just God that's not just going to pretend like we didn't sin, to forget about it, to, to turn a, a blind eye. Rather, he's going to say, no, your sin is going to be punished. But it's either going to be punished on you or on Jesus. And so when Jesus came, he went and he hung on the cross in our place so that he would take the punishment that we owe. And the righteous life that he lived was transferred to us. And this is where God's perfect love and justice meet. We see his wrath for sin, and we see his love for us in doing what was necessary to save us. This is the God that we're shown in the scriptures. You know, there's a lot that we can learn about God from observing nature, observing life, just thinking, all that kind of stuff. But if we want a more accurate view of who he is, we're going to need the help of others. Because all of us are going to be tempted to try and bend God into our own version of him at some point. And this is why the church should have such a heavy emphasis on studying scripture. That's why we have such a heavy emphasis here on it at H2O. You can expect that our sermons are going to be scripture heavy. When we get together for our life groups every week, we're studying the scripture together. Why? Because we want our minds to be formed by the scripture where God has spoken to us about who he actually is. And we want to conform our lives in accordance with that. This is tough, right? Because if we're not the ones creating God, sometimes that means that he, there's going to be things we don't understand about him. There's questions. I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for a long time now. I've studied the Bible a lot. There's still times people ask me questions about God that I do not know the answer to. And I've become more and more comfortable with that. Because I understand that he's greater than me. I'm not going to understand everything about him. That's okay. I'm actually thankful at this point that I don't understand everything about him. Because if I did, that would be a red flag to me that he was a God that was created by humans. You know, he's also, inevitably, there's going to be times as we're trying to follow him where he tells us to do something that we don't naturally want to do, that's uncomfortable for us. And this is where that community that we're studying the scriptures together with is helpful to really press in and say, no, the Bible really is saying this. We need to be serious about conforming our lives to this. Because the Bible is so challenging at times, that's why it's best to study it in community, to help us understand it and to help us obey it. And this is something that the church is uniquely positioned to be able to do. Yes, you can read the scripture on your own, but when it comes to actually walking it out, to understanding it, to getting other people's perspectives on it, that's where the church comes in in a special way. 
You know, I would also say that not only is the church really valuable for helping Christians learn, but it's really valuable for helping us to connect with others. We see that not only do they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to fellowship. And you know what? You can't connect deeply with others just by yourself. (laughs) Obviously, it requires other people to be involved in your life as well. And this fellowship is getting at a connection of people on a deep level. It's, it's the idea of sharing life together, being committed to one another. And we see this communicated several times in this passage. Acts 2.44 said that all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's a serious level of sharing life together. We see in 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together, uh, and, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. These people were spending time with each other day by day. It wasn't just, oh, I see you for an hour on Sundays. Or I'll see you maybe another time of the week during uh, Bible study. There was a real uh, connection, a day by day walking through life with each other that they did. And this is why the local church is so valuable, right? Because when you start to get connected to people that are in the same space as you, you're able to actually live life with them day by day. Not just as something that you might see them once a week. And so they had rich relationships that spanned all arenas of life. And to have these kind of rich relationships, that takes a very intentional commitment. We have to choose to be vulnerable with each other, right? Think of the level of trust that these people had to have with each other to have this kind of connection. They had to trust that other people weren't going to abuse all of their material possessions even as they were sharing everything. And and they had to trust even on a deeper level that people weren't going to abuse any sort of secrets or or, or deep things that we share with one another. You know, it's easy to really get hurt by people that you're connected to. And so I think oftentimes we kind of keep people at an arm's length because we're afraid of what they might do if they were able to know us on a deeper level. I understand that. I understand that desire to be closed off. But if you remain closed off from others, you will not experience the joy that comes from a real, genuine connection with other people. And God is a relational God that has designed us to want to connect in this way, right? Like, like think about who God is and what he even wants the most. You know what God wants the most from us? Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said, this is the great and foremost commandment. What God wants from you more than anything is that you would love him with everything that you are. He's relational, right? He, he wants that more than you sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. He wants that more than you doing any other thing that you can think of. He wants you to love him. And we are created in his image, Right? Like there's so many ways that, that our heart kind of reflects God's. And yes, we're, it's broken and, and it, that, that image is marred to some degree by sin. But if God is a relational God, I'm telling you guys, I, I look at the human heart and I see that we are relational people. More than anything, he has designed us to be people that connect both with him and with others. And so my hope for you is that you would be a person that learns to value the connection that God wants us to have with other people. And the church is a place that that should happen. Not because it's an institution or an event or something like that, but because it's a family of believers that are following Jesus together. And it pains me to think that uh, this is such a neglected gift among so many Christians and churches today. That we settle for a very surface level connection with each other. A hi, how you doing? The weather's nice outside. Maybe the Bengals will go to the Super Bowl again this year. 
And you know, that's great. But like, we, w- we were designed to connect with each other on a deeper level than that. And the church is a place that that should happen. You know, not only is, is the church something that uniquely is positioned to help us learn and to help us connect, but it's also something that helps us to minister, okay? We see that um, the, the word minister simply means to attend to the needs of somebody. And the church is, is a place, like a group of people that should be really, really good at doing this. You, first off, when you are part of a church, you get the opportunity both to minister to others and to be ministered to. And both of those should be exciting, I think naturally we, uh, we think, we're, we tend to be selfish, most of us, and so we think about what we can get from something whenever we're thinking about whether we should be connected to it. Uh, but I actually want to talk about, first, the, the value of being able to give something. Because Jesus himself told us that it's more blessed to give than receive. We have that recorded in Acts 20, 35. Right? It says, in all things I've shown, that, shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. When you enter into a community of people together that we call a local church, it gives you the opportunity to be in a position where you have a bunch of people that you have the, the, the privilege and the opportunity to minister to. Like there's so many people around you sitting here in this room that have needs that you might be able to be someone that helps them with. And this church that we saw here in Jerusalem did an awesome job with this on every level, with taking care of both physical needs and spiritual needs. First we see the physical needs, right? They were selling their possessions, their belongings, they were distributing the proceeds to any who had need. They shared their stuff, they sold their stuff if someone needed it. And in a healthy church, you should always have somebody that you can go to that's going to be able to do whatever they can to help you with their physical needs. We shouldn't be afraid to ask each other for this, right? Like in a healthy family, you're able to ask each other to help when you need it, all right? So for example, like, please do not be afraid to ask me to help you move, okay? Many of you have asked me to help you move. I'm glad you have. I have a truck. I don't mind picking up heavy things. I'm cool with it. And you know what? I, I'm thankful to do it. I'm honestly thankful to be able to bless people uh, in a, a physical way whenever that need arises. And you don't have to pay me back or anything. You don't owe me anything. I owe it to you as your brother in Christ. You know, I'm not saying that I'll always be able to attend to absolutely every request that comes my way. But as a community, we should be people that do whatever we can to really care about taking care of each other's physical needs. I I don't want any of you guys calling Ubers to go to the airport, all right? Like, we we should be taking care of to give people rides when they need it, right? Like, if someone is out of the house, I've, I've hosted many bed bug refugees in my house when they're they've had problems, you know, whatever, just any of these kind of places that, that we, we do what we can to help each other out. If a serious financial need arises, we should do whatever we can to help. And I know that there isn't a lot of financial power in this room right here, um, <coughs> but, <laughs> you know, like, hey, we, we do what we can, you know. Um, even here, we actually had a need arise, a, a couple that was, was very committed to our church, Years ago, they, they've since moved to Columbus, but they had a really serious financial need that arose. They needed, I think it was like $26,000 to go through with this adoption, right? They got contacted by someone that was like, hey, we want you to adopt our baby or we're going to abort it. And they're like, okay, we're going to adopt your baby. Um, and I brought it before you guys, and I think, I forget how much, it was like five or $6,000 that, that you guys like contributed to help them with that need, right? And that was just a few weeks ago, right? So like, 
those are the kind of things that the church should come together to be able to do. And that's what this Jerusalem church was doing. Um, And so, you know, not only does the church minister to each other's physical needs, but also we minister to each other's spiritual needs. We see that, uh, I highlighted two things on there. It tells us that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Let's, let's talk about each of those here briefly. Uh, the breaking of bread. There's a lot of debate about what exactly is being communicated by this term. Some people think it's talking about nothing more than sharing meals together. Um, some people think that this is talking about the practice of communion. You know, where we break bread and the, the bread symbolizes the, the broken uh, body of Jesus uh, when he died on the cross for us. And, you know, we eat it with, with juice or wine, which symbolizes that blood that was poured out for us. We don't have a ton of context or, or detail to know specifically which one it's talking about. To me, it doesn't matter that much because we know that they did both things. We saw at a different part in the passage that they shared meals together. Um, and then we saw, we see in other parts of scripture that the early church definitely practiced communion together and that Jesus told us to do that. So if this is talking about communion, then this would be one of the ways that I would say the church was actually ministering to each other's spiritual needs. Because every time we take communion together, which is something we're actually going to do at the end of the service here today, we're actually reminding each other of the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a powerful reminder of that. And we also see that they devoted themselves to the prayers. As they prayed together, this was an amazing way that they were able to take care of each other. You know, there are plenty of times that we just need God to supernaturally intervene in our lives in a way that, like, no one else can, can do, right? Like, sometimes we, we might just need a change in our heart that nobody can, can buy that for us, you know? Nobody can come help us. That's not just a physical need. That's a spiritual need. There's a transformation that needs to take place inside of us. And I don't think that any of us are above this. When I think of people that were bold for the gospel— <clears throat> There's, there's nobody I can think of that was more bold for the, the gospel than the Apostle Paul, right? Like, he wrote like half the New Testament. He traveled all around the Mediterranean. He was uh, preaching the gospel everywhere. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. All this kind of stuff. There's a very interesting thing that he wrote in his letter to the Ephesians while he was in prison, asking them to pray for him. Look at this. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You see, even Paul needed the church praying for him for boldness. Like that's an internal thing. that Nobody can buy that for him. But what he says, hey, you know what? Maybe he was struggling with boldness and who would blame him? It had gotten him in prison. And so what he's asking is, hey, church, I need you to keep praying for me that I would be bold in sharing the gospel. And I know there's probably a lot of us in this room that need that prayer. That God would give us boldness to be able to proclaim the gospel as we should. You know, when the church prays, we, we can't be sure exactly how or why God is going to respond in the ways that he does. But I do know that there's times, we see it in scripture and I've seen it in life, where God will respond in, in supernatural, miraculous ways. I want to share a passage from Acts when Peter was arrested by a king named Herod, and he was likely awaiting a death sentence. One of his friends had just recently been put to death, one of the other apostles. Uh, Herod saw that people liked it, so he imprisoned P- Peter, and he was going to bring him out at Passover, which was the, the same time of year that Jesus was crucified. So he's in prison waiting here. We're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, <clears throat> but earnest prayer for him 
<clears throat> was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, <clears throat> on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. <clears throat> he struck Peter on the side. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. <clears throat> Pray for me that my voice will work. Um, okay. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know uh, that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Look at that. Now, that, that's pretty cool, right? Like, I, I don't have a personal story where I've seen something like that happen. But, I mean, God responded in this miraculous way to the prayers of the church. We see both at the beginning that the church was making fervent prayer for him. And guess what? He gets out, he escapes, and where does he go? To the group full of people that were there praying for him. And if you were to read on the, in the passage, um, they, they're actually kind of surprised that, that God <laughs> answered their prayers. They were surprised to see Peter that had walked out of prison. Um, but he specifically tells them, hey, tell this to James and the other brothers. Now, I don't know why he specifically singled out James to be a, a guy by name that he wanted to hear about this happening. But I can tell you that later, James would write a book of the Bible. And this is something that he wrote in it. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Man, these powerful answered prayers are probably part of the reason why signs and wonders were taking place at the hands of the apostles and the people were awestruck. And guys, we still have the opportunity to pray for each other today. Like, we still have the same God that hears our prayers. And if you need something to happen in your life, if there's an internal heart change, maybe, like Paul, you just need someone to pray for you for boldness to share the gospel. Maybe you need prayer to, to reorient the way you're thinking about something. Maybe you need prayer just to, that God would cleanse your heart because you realize you've got a lot of pride and, and wicked motivations in you. For me, that was a lot of my life in college. Um, I, I encourage you, man, like, have the church pray for you. Every, every week at the end of this service, we have people all around this room that they'll even wear prayer on you, telling you, giving you an invite. I would love to pray for you. And man, this is a gift that we so often neglect that God has given us where, where we can come before him together and lift each other up to the one that, that can work in ways that are way more powerful than anything that we could ever hope to do. The church is uniquely <coughs> positioned <coughs> to be able to minister to each other, both physically and spiritually. The fourth thing I would say that the church is uniquely positioned to be able to do is worship. We see that the church helps us to worship God in a way that's different from what we could simply do on our own. In uh, verse 47, it says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. They were living this lifestyle of worship where they were constantly praising God. 
And, you know, personal worship is awesome. Um, and I encourage you to, to have private times where it's just you and the Lord. Maybe you sing a song to him or just shout or whatever. Just do something to praise him. Do that. But there's something different that's about coming together and being able to praise God together. And, and there's a couple reasons why. First, you have more to praise him for, okay? As you're connected to other people and you hear about what God is doing in their lives, you have all these extra reasons that you get to praise God, right? Like, think about how uh, Peter's friends, when he came back out of that prison cell, think of how they had another thing to praise God for because their friend had been released and they heard about it and they knew it because they were connected to him. When we come together and we're sharing our lives with each other, we get to see all these different things that God is doing in each other's lives and celebrate it and praise the Lord together. And, and second thing is, by nature, we love to celebrate together, right? Like, joy is best expressed when it's shared. Like, why do we get together for holidays? Why do we get together for birthdays? Now, some of you, maybe if you're like an extreme introvert, <clears throat> like Ron Swanson level, your, your, your way to celebrate your birthday is just like by yourself. Uh, but, but by and large, I think even for, for you Ron Swanson types, like you love, maybe it's a smaller group, but connecting on some level with other people to be able to celebrate things that are good and important. And guys, this is what we get to do as the church. Well, every day we get to live as people that are just like constantly thankful for the grace of God. Every day we should wake up and be thankful for the fact that God has made us his children. That we get to live another day where we're close to him, where we get to know him more, where we get to be an ambassador for him that represents him, that we get to bless others. All this kind of stuff. We get to live in that thankfulness. And then when we come together, we get to share in that thankfulness. Like our gatherings should be, should be like fun times of celebration. And yes, like there's times where, where the scripture is going to be preached here and there's going to be conviction and there's going to need to be repentance and confession and stuff that's heavy. But even in that, we get to celebrate together because of the gospel and the fact that God has forgiven us of all of those heavy things that we come in with. So man, like when we move into our time of musical worship, like we don't do that just because that's what you do in church, okay? Like it's, it's easy for us just to say, oh yeah, we sing the songs because that's, that's what churches do. No, we, we sing those songs for a purpose, right? Like, we sing them because we want to share our praise together and lift it up to God. And there's something beautiful about being able to express that. And so, man, if you're someone that, is, uh, that has a hard time engaging with that musical worship, I know a lot of people do sometimes, um, I encourage you just to even maybe reorient how you're thinking about it. Just in like, man, this is an opportunity that I get to come before the throne of God with my brothers and sisters and be able to just tell him how thankful I am and how awesome he is. Like, that's cool. I, I love expressing thankfulness and gratitude to people that, that have done great things for me. So, <clears throat> I hope that as we enter into that soon, not quite yet, but soon, um, that that will be something that, that you're able to really enjoy. Just like worshiping the Lord together in this context with a bunch of other people that also love the Lord. Finally, the last thing I would say that the church helps us do uh, that we can't do by ourselves is impact our community, okay? We can't impact it in the same way. Yes, you can have an impact as an individual on people around you. But when we come together as a community of believers, the impact that we have on the world around us is multiplied. We see this church, it says that they had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church helps us impact in a, the world in a way that we can't do just by ourselves. You know, um, 
we see here that the church should be something that benefits not just itself, but also the community that it's in. Having a loving group of people that care for each other and love everyone, regardless of whether or not they're in the church, should be a blessing to that community that gets to have it. Right? So just a few examples. Like the, the people of the church should be obeying the laws, so we should be a blessing, like, to the cops, for example. You know, like, uh, we had the cops drop by our pancakes uh, a couple, uh, those, those last couple weeks. And, and I'm sure they, they enjoyed it. They, they had fun eating pancakes with us. And we're happy to see that no one was underage drinking or pushing, burning shopping carts off of a roof. Um, or, you know, any, anything like that, right? Which was happening just down the street. Um, so, you know, th things like that. Like we, get, we get to be a blessing, even the people like that. Okay? Or, um, you know, the church should have good work ethic. Right? Like, like, we get to be people that, that are good employees. We should be a blessing. Every single one of you that's employed by somebody should be a blessing to your employer because of the kind of work ethic and integrity that you have. Um, we, we do this thing in the summer. We call it leadership training, or LT for short. And uh, you'll hear about it in the coming weeks. But uh, we send people out to these two different places. One's in Colorado, one's in New York. And you just work full-time at the YMCA of the Rockies uh, or the YMCA of the Adirondacks. And uh, when I say YMCA, don't think of, like, your neighborhood, like, swimming pool. Um, it, it's like, they're like these big resorts that have, like, tons of different things going on in them. And I went out to visit and preach at the one in New York this summer. And uh, I got really into sailboating while I was out there. Um, I just love telling people about that because you don't need to know, but it's fun. And you should get into sailboating if you can. Um, but as I did that, I got to, to talk to the guys at the boathouse a lot because I was showing up every day and renting these boats. And... Uh, you know, I, was, I struck up a conversation with one of the older guys that had worked there for a long time. He was probably getting close to 70 at this point. Not a Christian. Um, but he, and when I told him that I was a pastor, he's like, oh, you should, you should uh, hear about this program that we have here, which was the program I was there to preach for. But he didn't know that. Um, <clears throat> he's like, yeah, you know, we have these students, there, and they're all Christians, and it's really weird, but, like, they get up and read their Bibles every morning. And, um, you know... I love them, though. Like, they, they're, they're great. They show up to work on time. They work hard. They're not hungover. Um, and he's like, he, he, he loved it. And those people, even though he wasn't a Christian, he appreciated the kind of work ethic that the, the employees had that were following Jesus. And so, man, like, when it talks about this idea of having favor with all the people, when we live faithfully uh, in the way that Jesus has called us to, it should bring us to a spot where, like, we have a lot of favor in different places because we're just blessing people. The church should be kind and considerate, so we should be good friends. Even if your friends uh, that aren't Christians don't believe the same things as you, they should know at the very least that you're a good listener and that you're, you know, reliable. You do what, you're sa what you say. You're not gossiping about them. Um, these kind of things are a witness to the world around us, and the volume of that message is cranked up when it's done in community, right? Because if, if just you as a solitary individual are acting that way, People can kind of write it off as, oh, they're just a nice guy, or they were raised in a good family, you know, or something like that. But when a whole church full of people is consistently acting with this behavior, that speaks to something about what's happened in that community, which is the transformation that takes place when we become Christians. Now, one thing that should be noted about having favor with all the people, um, it, it wasn't the case that absolutely everyone loved them. As we'll see if you were to read on in Acts, there was actually quite a bit of persecution that they would face. Okay, uh, there were people that wanted to kill them, um, but when it gets at this idea of having favor with all the people, I think it's getting at this idea that I've been communicating to you, 
this idea that in general, the, the way that we live as kind and compassionate and loving towards others is a blessing to the community that we are in. And you know, as we live that way, that the church gets to show the gospel in a special way that you can't just do by yourself. You know, the gospel, at, at its most basic form, is a message of reconciliation. It's a, it's a message of bringing together that which was once separated. You know, we were separated from God by our sin, and God in his mercy brought us together with him by Christ dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sin and raising him from the dead so that we can be raised with him and have eternal life and be with God. It's a message of reconciliation and restoration. And you know, our society has a lot of fault lines. I feel like, I don't know if today more than ever, we've been doing this for a long time, but I, I just feel like I see it in the news all the time. This idea that we're, it seems like we're always looking for things to divide over. Like we're dividing over our politics and we're dividing over our race and we're dividing over our, uh, I, I, everything that you can think of. The church should be a place where we see all of these kind of fault lines disappear and that God brings together all these people from different backgrounds and different statuses and ethnicities and countries and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we worship God together. And in that, because of the way that we love each other, even despite our differences and despite of the, the fact that, yes, we get on each other's nerves every now and then, we get to show the world the fact that God is a God that brings together, that reconciles, and that restores broken relationships. And so, man, may, may our church show that. Like, if we're people that are really committed um, to being connected to each other and, and you know, learning the, the, the teaching of the apostles, the ways of Jesus, and actually practicing that, like, we're going to get to be a good light in our community. But I only think that all of these kind of things, the, the learning, uh, the connection, the, the ministering, the worship, uh, the impact, all this kind of stuff is only going to happen if we're actually devoted, okay? If we kind of give a half effort on this, I don't think we're going to see a lot of, of impact in, in pretty much any of these areas. And so you see, even in our main passage today, the very first thing it said was, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Th that, that word devoted there... It's communicating like a serious, consistent commitment to this. And I think so often, like, our commitment to following Jesus, or, or to, at least to following Jesus in community, is kind of half-hearted. And with that, I think that's why so often we don't see the ben all these kind of benefits that the church is, is supposed to have. You know, like, like we tune out or, or we don't go consistently, so we have a hard time actually learning the way that we could. You know, or, or we're not willing to be vulnerable with each other. We're not really devoted in that. So we don't actually experience the kind of connection that we could and should. You know, we, we come seeking only to see what we can get so we don't get to experience the blessing that comes from being able to minister to the needs of others. You know, I, I could go on and on, but you see this idea that if, if we aren't actually devoted to this, then you're not going to get to experience this kind of value that I'm talking about as a church. But in my life, I've seen this firsthand, like when you choose, yes, I'm going to devote myself to Jesus first and foremost. It's his church. And because I want to devote myself to Jesus first and foremost, I realize that the healthiest place I can be is into a, a healthy, God-honoring, Bible-preaching church, like a local expression of that that's going to help me in all of these areas. And so, you know, as I draw to a conclusion here today, 
I talked at the beginning about how like your lives are going to get busy. Like you're going to have so many more demands on your time that are coming up, all this kind of stuff. You're going to have a choice to make about whether or not you're going to follow Jesus in community and, and you're going to be devoted to that or whether you're going to kind of just say, yeah, I'll give a convenient effort towards following Jesus or at least a convenient effort towards following Jesus in community. If you do that, I believe you're selling yourself short. So, um, man, I, I, I have been so blessed by the devotion of other believers that have invested in me. And I believe that if you want to be serious about following Jesus, you're going to be blessed by devoting yourselves to a community of people that love God and that love others. And I believe that you'll find that here. So I love you guys. I'm devoted to, to trying to continue to teach you and connect with you, to minister to you, to worship with you, and to impact this campus and this community with you. Um, so let's pray, and then the band can come up. Um, God, we love you. And I just thank you for the awesome love that you have for us. I thank you that you're a God um, that, that is relational, that like wants us to connect with you. And God, as we move into this time of, of musical worship, we get to do one of the things that the church gets to do um, in a special way together that we can't do apart. Lord, I pray that you would minister to each of our hearts this morning. Connect us with you, God, as, as we're singing your praises. Lord, if there's people here that, that need prayer, I pray that they'd have the courage and confidence to go and ask, even if they're asking someone that they've never met before. God, I pray that, that our, our commitment and our connection to each other would, would uh, take a step forward today. That our impact on this campus, this community would take a step forward today. We thank you for who you are, Lord. You're worthy of all of our praise. And we just want to lift it up to you. So we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.